Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, your place to go for all things romance books novels some movies but not like how to live your life or anything thanks for coming back and we've got lots and stuff to talk about today i am jess and i am trisha also here happy and ready to contribute to your fictional romance life there that's a good way to put it your fictional romance life yeah yeah i mean hey if it translates into your non-fictional romance life all to the good. You live your best life. I'm not going to tell anybody what I mean, to do. I've, I've definitely taken some pointers. Not going to lie. Hey, I think that's great. <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, how are things out there in, uh, in Arizona, Jess? I'm, I am not going to say because I know we have many listeners who live in places that are cold right now. <laughs> and it's okay. So I'm, I'm going to deduce that it is not cold there. Well, if, if, any, if it helps anybody feel in solidarity, it is April 19th. I am in DC and it is frigid. I don't even think we've hit 60 degrees lately. So that's fine. Um, but apparently Arizona is the place to be in April. It's the one place to be in April uh, in 2018. I mean, in the morning, in the evening. I mean, once you in the middle of the day, you don't want to be outside. But that's a different mm-hmm. story. Well, sure. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, if yeah, if only teleportation was a thing, you could come be outside here in the middle of the day and then go back to Arizona. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I guess this is why we stick with romance. Yes, yes it is. It's, instead of climate. <laughs> um, um, Speaking of romance, uh, shall I shall I talk through our first sponsor, Jess? Absolutely. All right. Our first sponsor this week is As She Fades by Abby Glines. Uh, it is Abby, or Abby Glines is the number one New York Times and U.S. Today bestselling author of the Rosemary Beach and Vincent Boys series, and she's delivering another smoldering, compulsively readable YA romance with As She Fades. Uh, so the, the plot on this is a little bit stressful. Stick okay. with me. On the night of her high school graduation, Vale McKinley and her boyfriend Crawford are in a terrible car accident that leaves Crawford in a coma. Oh, no. I know, right? It's a lot. So Slate Allen, who is a college friend of Vale's brother, the heroine, has been visiting his dying uncle at the same hospital. So he and Vale meet, and obviously there is a flutter of illicit attraction. Oh, dear. Vale tries to ignore her feelings, right? Because her boyfriend's in a coma. <laughs> but she is not immune to Slate's charm. Oh, no. So they begin to form a cautious friendship. But then Crawford, the boyfriend who's in the coma, wakes up. He has no memory of Vale or their relationship. And so Vale is obviously heartbroken because, you know, she was trying to do the good thing and, like, you know, put off this other guy's advances or feelings, whatever. Mm-hmm. So she decides to just go to college, move on with her life, except now she's in Slate, who is the college friend of the brother, his territory... And apparently, their story is about to take a very strange turn. 
So it is a smoldering new romance. Um, you know, it's a roller coaster ride full of twists and unexpected turns. Uh, and I will be honest with you, I had not read Abby Glines before, but when I was searching uh, online to make sure I was pronouncing her name correctly, uh, I came across a couple of very interesting facts that made me kind of want to read all of her <laughs> books, including the fact that not only does she believe in ghosts, but she asks people if their houses are haunted before she goes <gasps> in. And I, I respect that. I'm kind of like, you know what? You need to like figure out for yourself where you want to be and where you don't want to be. And I also wondered if anybody has ever answered that question. Yes, that is a good like question. If you, if she is, <laughs> right? Like, has you ever gone to somebody's house and asked if their house was haunted, and they were like, "Actually, yes, it is." And she was like, "Okay, cool. I'll see you later. I will meet you at a coffee shop." <laughs> yeah, but this is not happening today. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. But uh, it did make me, like I said, it made me think like this person seems awesome, and I want to read her books. Including as she fades, because this seems very dramatic and intense. It's it's they they're calling it YA, which seems right, but it also seems like there might be a little bit of a new adult tilt to it. So, um, if you are a fan of new adult romance, I mean, you know, this poor woman Vale is torn between her boyfriend that like was wait like was in this coma, and now this new guy. I don't know. It feels like yeah. a lot. I'm very excited to read it. It is available now wherever books are awesome. sold. So. Huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Uh, once again, that's As She Fades by Abby Glines. Abby Glines, who seems super rad and believes in ghosts and interrogates people about them before she goes to their homes. Boom. Yeah, that's where we are. Thank you. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm all for it. And yeah, speaking of yeah. That, that new adult, young adult thing, I've been noticing more books published as young adult that are actually set mm-hmm. in college. So this looks like it's a trend. Interesting. Um, and I'm going to keep an eye out for it because I just I just um, ch- tried out. Well, I didn't I haven't tried it out yet. I picked it up because you know me. Um, another book that's set in college and it's actually older college. It's not even college entry, but um, it's being published YA by a young adult publisher. So who knows? We'll find out. Um, but, and you are, so you are the librarian on the podcast. Am I wrong though, that usually like YA goes to about 18 and then new adult is sort of like 18 to early twenties. Like that's how I think about it, but maybe I'm wrong. It's, it, it's been varying so much. I mean, I think maybe we've like grown out of new adult and people are just deciding to publish campus novels in whichever category they want now. Um, yeah, but you know, like young adult technically is like anyone coming of age and discovering something about themselves before, you know, work life. So I guess that college is part of it. I don't know. That's something to think about. Yeah. Well, a new adult, again, like not to, you know, you may not know this either, but is it only a romance thing? I don't know that I've seen new adult as a genre anywhere or like a subgenre, I guess, anywhere other than in romance. From what I have seen and heard on the interwebs, it was originally thought of as a category like young adult where, you know, it was just an age group and people of all um, genres would write in it, but it sort of fell into romance and became a subgenre of romance without the other people really jumping in. So I don't know if that was a publishing decision or just something that sort of happened. Man, I learned so much from you and the interwebs, Jess. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you for letting me quiz you unexpectedly. We didn't talk about this ahead of time. I just, uh, I, I unexpectedly started asking just things because she knows so many things. I try. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your um, abundance of knowledge with me. I try. I have to get it somewhere. I mean, it is what it is. Here we are. Here we are. And speaking of oh. abundance of knowledge and people with abundances of knowledge, let's move on to oh. our first topic. Uh, Good transition. I want to be one of these people one day. Like, mm-hmm. so um, you might have seen if you are a romance interwebs, romance Twitter person, um, Elizabeth Kingston, who is an author and apparently also a romance scholar, uh, gave a presentation at the Researching the Romance Conference, um, which is an annual conference held at the Bowling Green State University's Brown Pop Culture Library. Um, And it was called Romanticizing White Supremacy. And I promise it's not actually as overtly white supremacy-y as you're thinking when you hear the title. (laughs) We're not going to be talking about Nazis and neo-Nazis and that one guy who gets changed because he fell in love with a black woman and burns all of his neo-Nazi stuff. Um, We're not talking about... (laughs) I wish that wasn't like a real thing. I know. And yet. I know. Uh. Oh, gosh. (sighs) Um, And we've had this conversation before. If that's your thing... I think about why, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say if that's your thing, it's not great. It's not. It's not good. So, but yes, Jess's point is more productive. Think about why. <laughs> but anyway, so Elizabeth Kingston's presentation was called "Romanticizing White Supremacy," and it is about sort of what we've been talking about with all of the race stuff, with how the elements of white supremacy as an institution, especially in the United States, have seeped into romance publishing. Publishing in general, but since this is a romance scholar at a romance conference, we're we're talking about really how it's worked its way into romance. And one of the very prominent ways that we see this is in Regency. I mean, we'll be honest. A... Unless every, well, every single book is written into an alternate, alternative, whichever one you want to use, universe, because each author is writing their own version of what England was. Um, But even then, there weren't that many dukes. Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) Or or lords or earls, for that matter. (laughs) Sorry, sorry to burst everyone's bubbles. I mean, I love marquises. We'll talk about that later. But... um, Mm. (laughs) You know, like so many peers of the realm, young, hot (laughs) dudes who marry kitchen maids, not so much. We we love them. I love them so Mm -hmm. much. I have read so many and plan to read so many more. And even in Elizabeth Kingston's talk and in everything she said afterwards on Twitter, online and other places, it's cool that you like those. But we also have to think about what kind of message that is sending to the reader who learns things every time they read, Um, especially in romance and especially in historical romance, because I'll tell you, I keep discovering things. Um, So yeah, that's the, 
the sort of core of this presentation that she gave. And um, we'll have the the transcription version of it in the show notes. Um, if you read Kissing Books, I link to it on uh, what would be last Thursday's one. Um, and it's really interesting to read about just sort of like all of these little elements, Westerns, you know, like every cowboy in every Western romance is white, but historically, you know, it was like 20% of cowboys were black, 40% were Mexican, and you hardly see that in at least what are the more popular historical Westerns that aren't written by Beverly Jenkins. Yeah. And I think one of the things that really struck me about this piece, it's one of those, it's so funny because it, it makes a lot of sense if you think about it, but you don't really think about it because it's so kind of covert mm-hmm. is, you know, and that's like you started out by saying just, we're not going to necessarily be talking about the KKK and neo-Nazis. We're talking about the fact that this way of teaching history, this way of talking about history so subtly without you know, Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. But if everybody's white in this version of history, it starts to be that thing that you just kind of absorb as being the reality. She's got a quote where she says, it's understandable that this version of history taught by romance novels has made it far easier for white supremacist arguments to be accepted by otherwise intelligent, well-read people. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's, you know, we talked a couple of uh, weeks ago um, about that thing where you know, if you sort of only ever see yourself in the center of a story, then you sort of assume that that's how the story goes. If you only ever see history full of white, successful dukes who are heterosexual and, you know, whatever else, wealthy, do you think that that's what history looked like? And it's not. And it's, you know, she she talks too about how um, there's a part of this where she talks a little bit about how after um, all of the sort of horrific things that went on in um, Charlottesville last year, there started to be more and more of a push for historians calling for confrontation of white nationalists and, you know, pushing for people in academia and in schools to address these sorts of issues. But they weren't talking about romance because, and again, this is a quote, she said, academics and scholars rarely consider the fact that because it's such an enormously popular genre, a huge number of people learn history from romance. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can get as judgy as you want about that and look down your nose or whatever at people who are learning their history that way. I don't think that's appropriate. I think, honestly, if it were up to me, we would be teaching, like, Alyssa Cole and Piper Hughley in schools because they – those people do their homework. Mm -hmm. And that stuff, it's more interesting and more engaging and probably a better representation of what actually was going on than (laughs) a lot of what you read in textbooks. But anyway, that aside, if people are getting their history from romance, this is – where they're getting it. And, you know, she mentioned too that, you know, so much of what romance writers are writing about history is based on (laughs) their knowledge of what they think they know about history is based on other romance novels. Mm -hmm. So it's just this perpetuating cycle, Mm -hmm. which, like I said, it's just, it's a really interesting take. Everything that she says absolutely makes sense as soon as you think about it. But unfortunately, so often we just don't think about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, my, I guess my, my earliest reading of romance novels, which we've talked about as well, was really it, like almost probably 50 or 60% of the first 20 or 30 romance novels I read, which interestingly were by the same 
two authors um, (laughs) (laughs) were um, like medieval and actually very medieval. And then as I continued to read other authors who were writing in medieval, I could see them being influenced by these two authors who had established themselves. And actually, um, I think Elizabeth Kingston mentions both of them because she talks about um, the the core, not the central core, but one of the core elements of white supremacy utilizing medieval imagery. And that was just like, whoa, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and she, there are even pictures of like people with medieval style standards and they're like, yeah, um, that was frightening. But you know, thinking yeah. about the things that I, I've read in my teens that I'm really glad that I didn't get heavily influenced by because, wow, looking back at some of them, um, I remember a, a couple months ago, I found one of them in a used bookstore um, and posted a picture of it after I had read the description again. And it brought back memories of a lot of this Orientalist um, really mm. super hyper misogynist. Um, the hero is um, pretending to be Arab, but he's really a Christian European, and he's not actually having sex with the women in the harem. He's just having chess. He's just playing chess with them, and all this other stuff. Like the memories came back to me from you know age twelve, and it's like, wow. That yeah. could have really influenced some people on what they think because, like, there's also a scene with his, like, twin brother who was raised in the harem or something who is much meaner and, you know, he's really attractive to the aggressive woman and is violent and all these other things. And it's like, okay, so that's what we're presenting to the world. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but it's very much something of its age and. Uh, Elizabeth Kingston herself has has talked about, you know, taking those tropes that we got in the middle to late era of uh, romance and turn it on its head in the new era. So that was something really important to get out of this presentation, or at least my reading of it was that yeah. like turning like turn all of the things on their heads. Not let's not just use the the exceptions. Let's not just use the Alyssa Coles and the Beverly Jenkins who have been writing awesome stuff. Um, let's make it the rule. Yeah. Well, and like you pointed out earlier on, she's not saying uh, there's anything wrong with reading about Dukes. She Mm-mm. actually, in bold, she says it's not wrong. It's good and entirely fine to enjoy rich white people in ball gowns making googly eyes at each other. Uh-huh. And she says, I love it. I write it. And then in all caps, it is great. That's not my point, which I do think is an important thing to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. keep reading your uh, Georgette Hare or your Tessa Dare or your whoever else, right? Even actually um, Courtney Milan, and I think you actually sent this to me, pointed out on Twitter that there are some things that she would do differently Mm -hmm. um, when she was writing historicals. Um, So it's not not a matter of like anyone is necessarily doing anything wrong by reading about, you know, by reading these Regency books. Mm -hmm. It's just to keep this context in mind and maybe also read some other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that, like, I don't remember if it's in that same thread or if in in another, like, and to continue the thread that I was, that I had before kind of thing from Courtney Milan, you know, she's, she's still writing 
And she's yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. how she's going to do that reconsideration, turning things on its head as she goes forward with multiple series that she's writing. Because, I mean, man, the woman just writes and writes and writes. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while between her books, but when they come out, it's just like, ah! Um, but that's mm-hmm. that's another story for another day. Um, but she has talked about her historical research. And now that she has looked back on her missteps, she can assess those before they get printed. So if that's something that more authors start to do, or maybe they've started doing it and just aren't talking about it to us, um, which I don't know. We'll find out. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> maybe let us know on Twitter, everybody. That's fun. Yeah. That's good for you. Yeah. Um, I do. I, and then I will say, I uh, apparently Elizabeth Kingston started this presentation by saying, hi, I'm Elizabeth Kingston. I write historical romance novels. And today I'm going to bring you down by talking about Nazis. Which <laughs> I do. I mean, I appreciate the way, first of all, I appreciate her having this conversation mm-hmm. with, you know, the folks who are at this conference and then also putting it online so that people who are not there could also benefit from it. Yes. And just kind of, I don't know, I think I appreciate her sort of taking the time to educate people about a thing that, like I mentioned before, as soon as she lays it out, absolutely makes common sense. Mm-hmm. And yet we haven't really thought about all of the many pieces involved. She, It's just a really, it's interesting it's educational. It's and I think it's a really important. Um, she's making some really important points, and mm-hmm. she's she's trying to do it in a way that is not making anyone get too defensive. I think mm-hmm. you yeah. know. So I think that matters too. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't know. Hats off to her. Indeed, and I'm really hoping that you know her last thing is really a recommendation to authors, and um, it's it's got a lot of really good points about. Um, what what we consider accurate and, you know, even what we can move into a less accurate zone. There have been interracial romances in real life for the length of time that people were able to cross continents. Mm -hmm. So saying like that couldn't have been possible in 1863, um, which is a thing that happened to Alyssa Cole. I hate to say it. Like somebody oh actually gosh. said, I can't believe this story oh. because of how they met. Um, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, don't like she says, don't make sure that your happy ever afters aren't just for white people. And um, thankfully, we have already started seeing that, or at least the, in the books that Trisha and I are reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, c- consider what you know to be historically accurate. Like, there are people who, you know, talk about movies and books that take place pre-America and are like, there were no people of color in medieval Britain, so why should I cast anybody who isn't white? Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that there were people who traveled from Africa, from the Middle East, from China. Like... yeah. And India. Where do you think that tea came from, guys? Yeah. So <laughs> it's a really good point, Jess. Some really good points. <laughs> so, like, you know. Yeah. So, so the entire world wasn't a bubble before air travel, is what I'm hearing from you. It's <laughs> every, it, wasn't, it wasn't a series of, of multiple bubbles where people just you know, lived with their own people. Uh huh. Yeah. With the, yeah. Within only their own races. Yeah. Yeah. And it's but it, you know it is it's it's interesting because it is 
when it's the thing that you see in every movie and every TV show and every book as you're growing up. And that's why I think her point about, you know, this is where people are getting their history. Mm -hmm. So whether they realize it or not, this is where it's coming from. So we we have to be a little more responsible. Yeah. And, you know, like it's another one of those things of the winner creates the narrative. Absolutely. uh, Unfortunately, in a lot of Western culture, the winner has been white dudes. So... Mm -hmm. We've been following their narrative of all time for mm-hmm. the past 400 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to keep working on, you know, going down with the patriarchy and just finding those histories. Yeah. Well, and I have some uh, I have some ranting to do about one white dude in particular in the second half of the show. So, uh, oh man. So I'm I'm holding I'm holding that. That's a, that's a little bit of a teaser for everybody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was I when you mentioned the thing about Alyssa Cole, I was about to start to rant there and I thought, "No, no, Trisha. You have plenty of ranting still to do on When in Romance today." All right. Maybe set the Alyssa Cole thing aside for a moment. <laughs> um, so yeah, so anyway, that'll be that'll, that'll be coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't, so so don't everyone think we're letting white dudes off the hook. Oh we're no. Definitely not. No, we're definitely not. not. I'm getting worked up just thinking about it. That's fine. We're gonna get there. Um, so I don't know. I guess maybe in the meantime we should do. Should we? Should we do another ad spot? We should. And guess what we're gonna talk about? We're gonna talk about the <laughs> perfect duchess, which is perfect. The, this is because we were just talking about how it still is actually really wonderful to read uh, about duchesses. Indeed. So thank you to our second sponsor for this week's podcast. Um, the Perfect Duchess by Erica Taylor. It is book two of the McAllister series. And I like I said, like I said, I I'm all about the Dukes and the Duchesses and everything else. And oh, yeah. I'm I'm pretty fascinated by this this particular plot. Um, so after his fiance elopes with a footman, Andrew McAllister, the brooding Duke of Brad- Bradstone, you you know I love brooding dukes well um, sure <laughs> anyone who broods really yeah anyone who broods brooders brood away brooding yeah. men brooding women i just want you to brood and i can stare mm-hmm. at you um mm-hmm. anyway the brooding duke of bradstone is hesitant to trust any woman ever again it is only fitting that the woman to melt his heart is lady clara mason the social outcast twin sister of the woman nice. who jilted him Twin sister of I the woman that. who jilted him. I am mm-hmm. fascinated. I want mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. When Clara is threatened, Andrew does the only thing he can to think uh, to protect her. He proposes marriage because Obviously. why not? What yeah. else can you do? Um, despite having been in love with Andrew since childhood, Clara only agrees to the engagement to buy herself more time to escape her brother's murderous plans. Oh but, my gosh! Wait, yeah, did we right. know there was a murderous brother? <laughs> ah, this is getting very stressful, but I'm I'm more excited now. I like I, holy moly! All right, what is sorry, with continue. her siblings, man? One's murderous. There's one. a lot going on. <laughs> I am, I will say I have five siblings, and none of them are murderous or eloped with a footman. But I, who knows? Maybe right? that's missed potential on my on the part of my family. Yeah. So what begins as an engagement of convenience. And you know how I feel about (laughs) engagements of convenience. Uh, Quickly turns into a passionate battle of wills between the stubborn Duke and his distrusting fiancé. 
With fate giving them a second chance at love, Andrew and Clara fight to trust in their love and each other before they are torn tragically apart. Y'all, come on. Drama. So much drama. This has been the drama sponsor day, huh? I know, seriously. <laughs> and I will say, I, I love, speaking of like um, people who aren't, you know, necessarily always super well res- represented, I love a social outcast uh, woman in historical romance. Oh, right? yeah, like totally. The, like the way that we sometimes, uh, you know, like women were not just necessarily sitting around waiting for all of the dukes to marry them. Mm-hmm. So I love that uh, Lady Clara is is a social outcast. And I kind a of twin. Who knew? Right, twins, man. Yeah. And I kind of wanted her to be a blue stocking. I love a blue stocking. Um, oh. <laughs> but that's interesting. I mean, that's almost too much to ask. I'll have to it's, find yeah. out. This is already what was the term that you taught me earlier this week? Is it trope tonight? Trope tonight. Trope tonight. This trope is all tonight. of your trope tonight. It's... Tropes slash kryptonite, everyone, in case you were wondering. <laughs> it's such a great little composite it's fantastic. term. I love it. Um, but yeah, all of the things. Um, so that is, once again, The Perfect Duchess by Erica Taylor. Um, and the it is the second book in the McAllister series. The first one is A Suitable Affair, if you want to check it out. Uh, both are, let's see. A Suitable Affair is available. Um, Perfect Duchess will be coming soon. Perfect. All right. Yeah, by the time you're listening to this podcast, maybe it's out. Mm-hmm. That'll be exciting. We'll link to it. You can go check. Yes. Um, okay. Well, yeah, thanks to them. Thank you. <laughs> Should we talk about people I'm less grateful to, Jess? Let, let's. <laughs> I, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm ready. So to be fair... Uh, we've had at least on one episode or maybe two now, we've had this as a possible, um, thing that we were going to get into. And then, you know, we got too excited about all of our other many topics. And so we have not been able to talk about it yet, Mm -hmm. but somebody a couple of weeks ago, almost a month ago now found a, uh, an article on countryliving.com, uh, which good for them. I'm sure that's a lovely website <laughs> about Nicholas Sparks announcing a release date for his newest novel. And first of all, okay, so, okay, so, like, I have a lot of feelings. Uh, this is going to be, like, a really good exercise in character development for me because when I was thinking about this last night, I was just thinking so many curse words that I – we're going to see if I can get through this 10 or 15 minutes of talking about this without actually using any of them. I believe so if in I, you. Oh, thank you so much. You're so you're so supportive, Jess. Okay. So, all right. So, first of all, this article is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> this person, there's so many exclamation points, like, and just, okay. Oh, Jess, this is going to be his 20th novel, exclamation point. Although 20 sounds like a lot of books, his fans are clearly, it doesn't sound like that many books. Those <laughs> novel authors write 20 books all the time. Mm-hmm. It's super impressive. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like... I don't know. Like, there's no yeah. There's no <laughs> prizes for you, Nicholas Sparks, for just writing a lot of books. Whatever, fine. Uh, okay, so this person is very excited about this book. That's great. Let's have a quick conversation about Nicholas Sparks and how I feel about that guy. <laughs> so, Nicholas Sparks essentially writes romance novels. Some of them end in a way that is sad, but they are generally still emotionally satisfying. They are romance novels. Mm-hmm. This dude has made so much money. So he has much. built his 24,000 square foot house, 24,000 square feet. Just let that soak in. But, which, Ugh. by the way, it has a napping room. There's That's... a specific room in this person's house for napping. He's built this house on the wallets of romance readers, 
And yet, his editor, like when asked about whether or not he writes romances, is like, oh no, we never call them romances. I think romance is formulaic. His books are not. Okay. No, no. I just, no. I just, (laughs) I like, I don't know how you just make all of this money off of an entire contingent of people, especially as like, he's, this is a white dude who is making all of this money off of women. Like, I was thinking about this last night. I don't know why it makes me so angry. All of the movies alone, right? So many movies. I was thinking about this last night. I don't know why it makes me so angry, but it occurred to me (laughs) that like, he can golf wherever he wants. I don't even know if he golfs. I don't even care about golf. But like, Mm -hmm. there is still, in the year of our Lord, 2018, there are golf clubs that do not allow women to be members. Nicholas Sparks can be a member of whatever golf club he wants. He can claim romance writing. Like, he can... He can do that. He does not do that. It makes me very upset. I feel very strongly about it. And so that's fine. Whatever. That is a thing that is happening in the world. Uh, and in addition to that, you can. I will, I will definitely give you your chance to talk about Nicholas Sparks if you want, Jess. But there was also this other thing that happened. Um, on, there was some event, some like... Okay, here it is. So we had this like Duke University event called When Romance Isn't Quote-Unquote Trashy, Women's Fiction and Perception. Mm-hmm. It happened earlier this month, but there was it was going around romance Twitter because women, well, romance writers were essentially like, um, what do you mean trashy? Like, smart bitches trashy books uses trashy kind of in a reclaiming the term sort of sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously with full respect for all of romance, it is basically like, the number one romance book site of ever. Nice. So, like, you know, Sarah's wonderful. Like, uh, Amanda, who also writes her book, right, is wonderful. Like, the people who write there are great. They have so much respect for romance and romance writers. This is not that. No. This is them saying, oh, look, you can write books for women that aren't trashy romance books. You can write women's fiction, which is another thing that I get very upset about. Women's fiction, as a term, makes me angry. Mm-hmm. So people are pushing back on that also. So anyway... We were going to talk a little bit, I'm, I'm trying to control my ranting, it's not working, as you can tell, but we were going to talk a little bit about this perception of, like, people who cannot, who are not willing to claim romance as the genre that they write. So and I will sit that- quietly and drink my tea. <laughs> we've seen that as an issue, too, with women who also have made so much money off of romance readers, and they shall be named. Diane Gabaldon. Nice. Um, I love that. No one remains nameless. Not today. No. I love Diana Gabaldon's books. Well, I loved the first four and uh, the first 150 pages of the fifth one, at which point (laughs) I gave up. Um, But, like, Outlander is one of those series that, draws romance readers in because it has this this epic feeling and this epic love and all of this and she will be the first person to claim that romance is dumb and formulaic and my books of course aren't romance and like I I would find a, a quote but um I I don't have one in front of me right now but she has said if not those exact words, then something very similar, um, especially similar to what Nicholas Sparks' editor has said, um, mm-hmm. and claims that, you know, yes, there's a romantic story, but really my books are fantasy or science fiction or whichever speculative fiction. I 
I have trouble placing the right books in the right category. So I just call it all spec fic. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like, it's one of those things that really bugs me. Like, as a as a person who's been reading romance for two-thirds of my life, like, what's wrong with romance? Why, like, it's another one of those elements of misogyny that has seeped into women and other non-men as well. Like, it's a thing that we expect to hear from one side of the room, but we don't expect to hear it and are really disappointed when we do hear it from other women and non-men. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know yeah. that that's sort of like placing an expectation on a whole whatever Collection. percentage of 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 the gender spectrum but like it's i hate misogyny yeah it's a terrible terrible thing and when women express misogynistic thoughts it's one of those things it's like really really you're supposed to be the one who supports everyone <laughs> and nobody yeah. supports everyone, obviously, but it's just one of those things. I haven't thought this through. So you're just going to hear me like spitting who knows. Um, but it's, it's one of those things, especially with the whole trashy books thing. Like I've used it in a, in a pretty snarky way for most of my life because like even, even my mom was like, um, if you haven't read my my um, very long article about my mom's reading on her vacation, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. You should. Um, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I brought some trash. It's great. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. why why do we call it that? And why do we continue to call it that? And why do we let people who do not have the love that we have for the genre continue to call it that? And why does publishing let people in any part of publishing call it that and so yeah like I have strong feelings about the whole trashy books thing especially when it's coming from someone who's talking about women's fiction as though chiclet isn't a thing that has been applied to books that would just be called fiction if it weren't for publishing like the misogynistic side of publishing and that's the thing. So I, um, so I actually wrote a post for a book a while back about how much how frustrated I am with the term women's fiction because that term in and of itself is really problematic. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw um, so love in other words the new book by uh, Christina Lauren, which is great, is is being marketed as women's fiction as opposed to romance. And I don't fault any author who is who is doing that right or any mm-hmm. you know publishing house right like it has to be marketed in a certain way i totally get that Mm -hmm. um love in other words is a great book um kristen higgins has been writing uh some women's fiction lately like her books are great i actually even think some of beverly jenkins more contemporary stuff is maybe women's fiction yeah her her historical stuff her her Um, henry adams books are definitely categorized under women's fiction instead of romance um because they rarely have like one central romantic story and i get that but yeah but so can so Entertainment Weekly they, um, mentioned love in other words in a in a post that I just read the other day or not a post I guess it was in the 
the hard copy, the old school magazine, the actual thing <laughs> that has the pages that you flip. It was, um, but it, it was it was just a quick snippet, so there wasn't uh, an author that I can credit. But they referenced it as contemporary fiction as opposed to women's fiction, hmm. and the entire magazine didn't just burst into flames. Magic, like, obvious. Yes, yeah, somehow <laughs> it's actually okay to talk about it as women or it as contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, yeah, that's the thing. It just, I don't know, to set those two types of writing which are different right it's different storylines it's different you have different expectations of a romance novel than you do of a contemporary fiction novel that's focused on the lives of women Mm -hmm. you know like a a Leanne Moriarty book right or um Terry McMillan or you know the 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 expectations are a little bit different so it's okay to categorize them differently but you don't necessarily need to pit them against each other and say here is why a you know, quote unquote, women's fiction book or a contemporary fiction book is a valid way of representing women's lives. And a romance novel is trashy and is not. Yeah, it's not like the Nightingale is being like, hurt by people buying romance novels. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's not. And like, I don't even freaking Nicholas Sparks. Like, what does he what does he think he is writing? Does he think he's writing women's fiction? Does he think he's writing science fiction? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Ugh. I'm going to link to a couple of different posts or articles about him from the Washington Post. And if you just <laughs> want to get very angry, read them. Because <laughs> So there's a quote in one of them where someone's like, you're like, well, why not branch out? You know, aim higher, try a different genre, which aim higher is problematic, but that's fine. Yeah. And he says, I really like to be good at what I do. Could I write another type of book? Probably. Could I do it better than anyone? That I don't know. Um, okay. I'm not really convinced that that you're doing... indicating that he writes the books he does better than anyone? Because I have some uh, words for that. I don't have them right now because we're on a podcast that's Mm -hmm. curse-free. Right? That's what I said. (laughs) I believe in you now, Jess. But no, yeah, he's he's not ashamed to admit that he thinks he, quote, can write dramatic fiction with the best of them. Okay. All right. Oh, the notebook is now an American classic, Jess. Isn't that wild? In the words of Nicholas Sparks. Is the notebook an American classic? I don't know that that's true, but Uh, You know what made the notebook an American classic? Nothing that he did. Rachel McAdams (laughs) made the notebook an American Mm -hmm. classic. With a helpful assist from Ryan Gosling. A a little bit. Yeah, I'm not saying, you know, it was definitely Rachel McAdams, (laughs) but he he played the supporting role. So good for him. Good for him. (sighs) All right. I don't know. My blood pressure is getting very high. We probably, so I should probably stop. I don't know. Another day, we, we will probably revisit the conversation about how we, we have seen so few adaptations of really good romance novels, but we have seen an adaptation of every single Nicholas Sparks book ever written. Seriously. I know that's not true, but it feels like it. Beverly Jenkins <laughs> is crowdsourcing her adaptation, Nicholas Sparks... Uh, no, I can't. Okay. Okay, it's let's fine. move on. Let's move on. No, but your point is a very good one. Your point is a very, it's an important point. It's very good. And I need to just not think about Nicholas Sparks anymore. Let's not think about Nicholas Sparks anymore. Let's talk about books. Because we right. are excited about books. Yes, you go first. Because if uh, you may have more than I do, or I don't know, either way, you go first and I'll take some deep breaths. All right, take some deep breaths, drink some tea. Trisha and I were talking about how neither of us has really managed to like finish many books recently, but there are all these books coming out that we're like super excited about. Um, I I did 
finished one and if you read kissing books you you heard you got to read my squeeing about it last week um and it was unmasked by the mark mark marcus how do you say that word mark mark marcus Marquez. i don't know i've heard it in so many different versions i'm going with marquis because i think that's how they said it in like the old leslie howard movies um, oh, i like that <laughs> i like that I'll, I'll search it you you keep talking also i'll see if i can figure it out yeah so let's let's go unmasked by the marquis and this is cat sebastian's first book with avon that is not a male male um romance and that is because the pairing here is male non-binary how awesome is that it's definitely the first um historical romance that i recall reading with a non-binary protagonist although i'm sure they exist if you've read one and you've le- and you've loved it tell me like yes. tweet at me send me an email anything i'm down for it um because like as we've heard recently as we've read we've discovered as elizabeth kingston has talked about um being not completely male or female and knowing about the space in the middle of the gender spectrum is not a new thing like it has been happening for years and it's so great that we can actually read things about people who do not exist in this day and time and so that's that's one thing but also it's since it's a cat sebastian novel it's amazing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so unmasked by the marquis we have um alistair who is the marquis of pembroke um Mm -hmm. and he is side note i looked it up it i think you are pronouncing it correctly so good job yay you're Um, so smart i'm so smart um sometimes as you've heard i can't always words but you know it's in my brain somewhere um so he is older he has just inherited his marquisdom from his father who was quite the rake hell um and you know had a bad reputation for the family and he and this new marquis is very staid and you know, bespectacled with slivers of gray hair. And he's also bisexual. Um, And he um, is visited in the early pages of this book by a young man named Robert Selby, who says that his sister um, is is Alistair's late father's goddaughter. And they just want some support so that she can find her way to marriage. We discover that Robert Selby is um, actually a person who was born Charity Church. Charity Church. She was definitely a foundling. Um, And was once a maid and then became Robert Selby when the real Robert Selby didn't want to go to Cambridge. Oh, So she took on the mantle and went to Cambridge as Robert Selby. And now she's like, you know, I'm kind of not interested in this whole woman thing. Like, I, I don't feel right. Um, so, and Kat Sebastian ha- notes, I think in her author note or somewhere online, I can't remember where I read it, um, that while she uses um, she, her pronouns, because she thinks that Charity Church would be okay with that. 
um, that the character is definitely non-binary. Like she is, she does not feel that she is a man or a woman. And it's really great to see that process in, in um, her life and how Alistair works his own way through that. So it's a great book, and I've talked about it for a really long time. Um, I mean, to be fair, it does seem like a very complicated plot. I may have to do another graphic of this one. There's a lot going on. We'll, <laughs> well have to see. You know, we love your graphics. They're so great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I will take a look and see what I can do. Oh, but yeah, I'm, so like I said, it's it's a I'll do a flowchart or something. So I, that means I have to also include the fact that um, Alistair's younger brother is very into uh, the young Miss Selby. Oh, so there is all that happening. There's a lot going on. All right, There's yeah, a lot again, going I feel on. like we're going to need a diagram of this. Yeah, yeah. So that's the the most recent release that. I am excited to share with you. And there are a couple books coming up out in the near future that I can't wait to read, even though I know that I won't get to them immediately because this is me. And Fair. that doesn't happen. I had Unmasked by the Marquis for like three weeks before I got to it. Like I got a galley. and bad. Actually, it was probably longer than that. What am I talking about? I got mm-hmm. it from... Edelweiss, so it was definitely a long time. But that's another story. I think I thought <laughs> about it for three weeks before I actually sat down and read it. Oh, sure, um, yeah. But if you, once again, if you read Kissing Books, you have heard about my absolute delight with Talia Hibbert, who oh, is, yeah. she's a new writer, but she's got like seven books already. I don't, like, she talked about Oh, really? How, Will she maybe someday write 20 books, Jess, like Nicholas Sparks? Will she write 20 books by 2020? I think so. Probably by 2019. <laughs> right? She has talked about um, how like something happened in her life and she just like realized that she needed to just like sit down and write and she just couldn't stop. So That's awesome. it's, 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 it's great. And her writing is just like fantastic. And um, if you haven't read a girl like her, which is her most recent, try it out. And I'm really excited for Wanna Bet which is the next one that she has coming out. It sounds really dramatic and emotional. Um, and you should you should check out all of her books. But um, that one sounds like it's just going to be... I hate to use the word groundbreaking because it's such a generic word now. But it like just from the buzz that I've heard from people who've already gotten their hands on it, it's going to be pretty fantastic. So check that one out. Um, and another one that I'm really excited about because it has all of those troped night checks that I've talked about before is Grumpy Fake Boyfriend uh, by Jackie Lau. You had me at Grumpy Fake Boyfriend, but you should probably tell us more. <laughs> um, there is a fake relationship, <laughs> a grumpy hero, forced... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing so hard because it's so true. Um, forced proximity, you know, all of those things that you've heard me talk about. Bingo. <laughs> I'm calling just Trope Tonight Bingo. Trope got Tonight it. Bingo. And that one doesn't come out till later in May. So there's some time to wait for that. So I'm sort of just sitting here thinking about it. And um, it's funny. 
I don't know if you came across it, Trisha, or you might have been the one who shared it and then I came across it <laughs> on Twitter. There was a, a graphic that somebody made of like a bunch of authors who had like fake relationship novels coming out and it was perfect. It was like, well, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's beautiful. Yeah. I want them all. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, that one was one of them, but I'm excited to try some other ones. I think Kay, uh, Kay Tilleria, who um, writes for Book Riot, shared that, and then I saw it and tagged you. Because, <laughs> right. because I was like, I want to hit uh, Just Fight uh, Trope Bingo, and yes. um, I figured that was the easiest way. So. That really is the easiest way. So thanks, Kay. <laughs> thanks, Kay. <laughs> um, well, that I'll, all of that sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. Are, are those, are those, is that your set? Am I interrupting you? And that's, that's it. Those are mine. Okay. Um, I, mean, I mean, there's always more to be excited well, about. Course. I mean, this is romance we're talking about. There's something to be excited about every hour, it's every true. day. <laughs> we have to leave something for the next episode. Yes. So um, I have a couple too that actually just hit my, uh, my e-reader app the, this week, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, so we've talked before about Andy J. Christopher, uh, who I like very, very much. Um, and she, one of the, th- so first of all, the book that she has that just came out is called Before Daylight. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really like about um, Andy is that she writes, she writes, I love the way that she writes women because she mm-hmm. writes women that are not perfect, but they're interesting and relatable. And she really gets what it is like to be single past the age of 23. Mm-hmm. So like she writes these women in such a way that they are making the kinds of decisions that the single women that I know, or I, I'm a single woman like I, that I would make, or having the kinds of regrets that you have occasionally <laughs> as a single woman past the age of 23, right? Like, mm-hmm. and who aren't necessarily staring down, like trying to find themselves a ring to put on their finger, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, um, in Before Daylight, the uh, the heroine, uh, Laura, is working to get a job at the New York City Ballet. And then something happens. There's some drinking. There's a wedding. And apparently she ends up married to some guy <laughs> randomly. That happens. We've That's all been perfect. there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like apparently there's an actual uh, mistake marriage. Uh, not even like necessarily a marriage of convenience. It seems like more of like just a drunken marriage, but I haven't read it yet. And she's a dancer, Jess. So if we hadn't already hit Jess Pride trope bingo already, <laughs> we've hit it now. So that is oh worth noting. Um, but anyway, like I said, I really, really like the way that Andy writes. She's funny and smart and her um, her characters are great. So I'm really very, very excited to get into Before Daylight. Um, if you haven't read it yet, uh, Stroke of Midnight is the first book in this series. One night, it's the One Night in South Beach series. This mm-hmm. is the fourth book. You, I'm sure you can start with Before Daylight. I haven't even read it, but I'm telling you right now, you can start there if you want. You do you. Live your best life. I will. Um, so yeah, so my other book that I'm really excited about is, <laughs> it's called, wait for it, Loving the Secret Billionaire. Ooh. Uh, just let that soak in for a moment. Um, it's, it's by Adriana Anders, who um, I don't know that we've talked about yet, but her she wrote the um, Blank Canvas series, which started with Under Her Skin, mm-hmm. um, which is – it's funny because her books are I, – I like her books very much. They're not usually my style because they're – speaking of words that we that get kind of overused – or it's not even an overuse. Like gritty is the wrong word because I think mm-hmm. it has kind of a negative connotation. But angsty is like not. It's almost a little too light for what what she's writing. <laughs> it's it's like kind. Of, I guess they're just maybe dramatic. 
Maybe dramatic, dramatic is yeah. the appropriate word. Yeah. Um, I but, really liked um, the first, her, I read her, she has the first story in the first Rogue book. And I really like that. And that's the oh, only thing I've read of hers. Yeah, um, I don't think I have read that. I'll have to find it. Yeah. But sorry, please continue. No, no, no. <laughs> yes. I put that, like, again, see, we like Adriana Anders. And that's why I'm very excited. Oh, and here's the thing about loving the secret billionaire. So I don't know that much about this book. I know that obviously the hero is a billionaire. Uh, he's like some sort of a recluse for some reason, or recluse, I think is the appropriate speaking of pronunciations again. Mm-hmm. And he is also a virgin. Uh, huh. And the heroine, I think, is a little bit older. So like, there's a couple of things going on there that you don't always see. I also think that this book might be either relatively short or a novella, maybe mm. both, which I also like because it makes me feel very productive. Yes. Like I'll just sit down and before lunch, I have read a book. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's 113 pages. So, yeah, yeah, that hit my Kindle today. It just came out today. Um, And uh, today's the 19th. So it's it's available to all of you. Whatever you're doing tomorrow, make some time. Also read Loving the Secret Billionaire. Find Uh, out what's going on here. Maybe I will. Yeah, why is he hiding out, you guys? What is his mystery? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. So we'll find out. Indeed. Indeed. So I guess that's – those are our recommendations. Those are our rants. (laughs) <laughs> Those are, I guess that's what we've got today. Yeah, yeah. We've we've taken you down, but we brought you back up at the end <laughs> with true. some like f- secret virgin recluse billionaires and and non-binary protagonists who are really good at library canoodling. Oh, library canoodling might end up our show title, just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> Uh, that's like, that could have been like the subtitle of our podcast when in romance, (laughs) semicolon or colon library canoodling. I Um, think I actually picked that up from Cat Sebastian's like promotional materials, but I can't remember. (laughs) All right. Well, hats off to Cat Sebastian. Indeed. Um, oh, also hats off to Samantha, Rebecca, Sarah, and Jenny, who are all helping us reclaim the one in romance uh, um, hashtag. Also hats off to Jess, who is also on board now. Took Yay. a little while, but she's with us, guys. She's I with know. us. I know. I forgot that one time. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was one time, and I'll never let her forget. Um, <laughs> but we're getting there. So thank you. I know it seems like I might be getting a little intense about this, and you are right, and it's not going to end. It's going to stay that way. Reclaim uh, it. We're reclaiming it. So reclaim it. Um, but yeah, we're on Instagram. I'm at Trisha Haley Brown. And I am at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And uh, we're on Twitter. I'm at uh, Trisha underscore reads. And I am at Jess is reading. No underscores. No underscores. <laughs> if you don't know why, listen to any back episode of the podcast and you can find out. <laughs> so thank you all for uh, listening. Thank you so much to our sponsors um, yes. for the week. Um, let me pull up our things so that I don't name either of the books incorrectly. Uh, I have so many tabs because of how angry I was at Nicholas Sparks. Um, so thank you so much to As She Fades by Abby Glines. And thank you so much to The Perfect Duchess by Erica Taylor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you to Elizabeth Kingston for writing that awesome, awesome presentation that we will share with you. By all means, let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you think about um, romancing white supremacy. Let us know what you think about... <laughs> let us know what you think about Nicholas Sparks if you feel as strongly about him as I do. If you don't, <laughs> then I probably don't necessarily need to know about it. Um, <laughs> and let us know what upcoming books you are excited about. 
Absolutely. And as always, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody. So long. <laughs>